customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Your innings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trott is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, happy day after Labor Day weekend. Uh, you celebrated by flying 3,000 miles to L.A. to call a game, but <laughs> this is what you signed up for, right? This is it, man. Coast to coast. Thank goodness now out of Hartford, you can go JetBlue nonstop. Uh, so you know what? That makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> what an innovation that is. JetBlue. How about it? Uh you know, for most people, Doug, Labor Day means beaches and barbecues, but we know what it means in baseball. It means we've now officially reached the dramatic stretch run yeah. of a really fun season. So, look, we're going to have a fantastic show today because Joe Madden is going to join us to talk about the ways he thinks baseball is evolving in a direction that is pretty clearly rubbing him the wrong way. Uh, this is going to be must-listen, I promise. But yep. But before we bring in Joe, why don't we celebrate Labor Day with a few of our famous holiday over-unders. Doug, yes. are you ready to play that game? Oh, I'm more than ready. Over and under. My dad was from Trinidad, so he did limbo, and so I know all about over and under. <laughs> 
Well, hopefully you know more about under than over. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> if, if that's the context here. But we're, we digress. Let, let, let's go here. Let's start with the Dodgers. So here's my thinking, Doug. <laughs> they made it to 50 games over 500 before the end of August. So that puts them on pace as we're recording this to win somewhere in the neighborhood of 112, 113 games. We, we probably need to drop that bar a little just because they're going to be bored. They're going to clinch first place in like a week. But uh, so, so why don't we go with over under 109 wins? I, I guess actually it should be 108.5. What do you think, yeah. Doug? Over or under? Well, that would be a very high temperature if you were 108.5. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say unequivocally over. Um, I'm going to throw in that, you know, they might get 110, 113 or something. I mean, you know, you know the, look, the, there's enough of an interest. You know, the Mets really good. I mean, there's a lot of wins out there that they don't want to take it for granted and kind of slow down because they want to really make make sure it's an exclamation point that they get home field and, and the driver's seat. And they're also just that good. They have so much depth. Yes, injuries, <laughs> you know, some injuries are there. Pitching, that's a concern for the short series. But that team just scores. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go over. Yeah, I, um, I'm going over too because – I, I, I know they're they're going to have a hard time keeping the pedal to the metal like under normal circumstances, but I see a schedule that I think keeps them engaged. Um, you know, just play the Padres over the weekend. Still have games left with the Padres, the Giants, the Cardinals. It's going to keep their attention. And what's made that team so good is like the depth of talent is ridiculous. It feels like they have 50 really good players, and most teams have, what, eight? <laughs> it's just crazy. They're just good at everything. So I'm taking the over, possibly the way over. Uh, this could be a potentially historic, legendary team, and I'm, I'm, I'm good with historic and legendary. Um, okay, this is a little tricky. It's a little different. This is an Astros-Mets over-under. Uh, as we record this, the Astros and Mets, Doug, have the same number of wins. So here's the question. It's kind of over-under. Who wins more games, the Astros or the Mets? Ooh, wow, that is good. Good one, huh? Well, I will go... Hmm, I'm going to go Astros. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't even know what the strength of schedule, but... The, I feel like the Mets are facing the Braves and the Phillies when both those teams have figured it out. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, like that's a, that's a tough close, close out. I don't, you know, so, um, so, you know, they're, I mean, yeah, I'll just go Astros. You know, I think they're, I mean, I know the Verlander are trying to get back into the mix, but they are, um, Astros are just a fantastic team and the Yankees have to be a little bit nervous, you know, just because if they look past these early rounds, and they face Houston. That team has given them a lot of trouble. And, and now we realize it's because they're just flat out good. <laughs> yeah, every year that they have met the Astros in the playoffs, uh, it, it doesn't end well. Um, but I, I, I'm going to go with the Mets, Doug. I'm disagreeing with you. Um, you. You know, for one thing, this version of the Mets roster is the best version that I've seen all year. Um, not that they're a, the perfect team, but... Scherzer DeGrom is just ridiculous. Um, second thing 
is, though, um, and you mentioned the schedule. The fact is the Mets have the easiest schedule in baseball the rest of the way. The easiest. That's a bad thing, um, though. That's a bad thing. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. They're like, they're, here's the thing. They're, of these two teams, they're the team in the closer race. They got to. They got to hold off the Braves. That buy matters for them. So they have to keep pushing because first place is important. So the Mets is the correct answer. Is it, are, we, are we straight on that? The Mets will win more than the Astros. You heard it here first. Um, okay. Aaron Judge. We, we, we can't do an over-under without uh, Aaron Judge home run over-under. So I actually want to do two of these. First one's pretty basic. Uh, American League record is 61, Roger Maris. So 61 and a half homers, over or under? Man, I, I wish homers counted like that. I would I, I would have like 500 home runs. I mean, if it counted a single. Is 25 a, and a half? Well, a, sing, 25 a, half sing, a single is a. 100 half Well, homers. a single is a quarter home run. <laughs> and then uh, if I added all that up, man, I mean, would I, would I pass like Bonds and Aaron and all these guys? Um <laughs> Well, I'm going to definitively say he's going to – not only am I going to say over, I'm going to say he's going to hit 62. I think he's just going to do it to prove a point. I think That that would be over. Yes, so he's over. Did I say over? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, over by a little bit. So because I think he just – I think that would be awesome because you could celebrate it. Everybody who's hit more than 61 and a half home runs have been under question, right? It was a steroid era. It's not a good time. But Judge could just, you know, if he just broke the Yankee record, which, you know, at one time obviously was the world record, I think we'd have something there. And I think he wants to do that. He's motivated. And I think it's a cool number to sit on. So I'm going to say over. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with you. I, I'm i just picking with the script that I want to see play out. Uh, he's, he's hit nine home runs or more in every month since the start of May. And I, I, I I'm trying to imagine... The electricity in Yankee Stadium every time he plays there the rest of the way. I mean, it's going to be like a fireworks show. So I think he hits 62, just like you. I hope he hits 62. It would be unforgettable. And, you know, I root for the best stories and the best memories. That would be a thing. Uh, All right. Second over-under on judges. You know, he, as we're recording this, he leads the American League in home runs by 20 homers. 20. Like, is it possible he's going to hit 60 and nobody else is going to hit 40? It is. So here's the question. How many other American League hitters hit 40? Uh, let's go with an over-under of uh, 0.5, a half. All right. So <laughs> now give me the leaderboard of close to 40. Who, who's in? Uh, let's see. Otani is 10 away. Jordan Alvarez, uh, 9, I think, as we record this. Uh, Rizzo just hit his 30th. So he's in that range. But Wow. Um, I'm going to say nobody. Yeah, I think it's just going to yeah. be Judge 60 and all the re- regular humans at uh, 40 and below. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not going to be a good time for regular humans. I'm with you. I'm I'm going with zero on this. I'm going with the under. Uh, like Jordan's 
Jordan's awesome, but is he going to hit nine or ten more homers? He's banged is up. Otani? I can see Dusty giving him a day off, you know, at the yeah, end. Yeah, he's so. exactly. They're going to want to get him ready for October. Is Otani going to hit nine or ten? He could hit 20, but I don't think so. Um, is Anthony Rizzo? Uh, like, oh, Otani could, I guess, but I, like, I don't think it's going to happen. So I think this is going to play out. Judge hits 60. Nobody else hits 40. And we'll be saying, well, what year is it? 1921? <laughs> That's nuts. Uh, all right, let's do Paul Goldschmidt because you've seen a lot of him. Chasing the Triple Crown. Uh, right now, as we're recording this, he's leading the National League in batting average, tied for the league lead in RBIs, three back of Kyle Schwarber in home runs. So I, I want to think about how many of those three categories he will wind up leading the league in. And I'm going to set the over-under at one and a half. So he doesn't have to win the Triple Crown for you to take the over. He would just need to lead in two out of the three for it to be over. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say over. I think he'll – I mean, I'm rooting for the Triple Crown. Uh, I mean, but every time I've seen him play, he's hit a ball across the street. I mean, it's just uh, – especially <laughs> if, if you're a lefty, I mean, come on. <laughs> the, you have no chance to get him out. So, I mean, really amazing. He just looks unstoppable. So – I think he'll get at least two of those categories. But I think he has a shot at the triple crown. I mean, you know, he doesn't tend to hit like, you know, 10 home runs in a week kind of guy. So that's the only thing. Schwarber gets streaky and then he hits like 11 in five days. But, you know, Goldschmidt is, you know, he's so locked in. I think he might talk to Albert Pujols right before and, be, and Pujols is going to be like, I'm going to put this magic wand on your shoulder and now you're going to hit 15 home runs. So that's it. Is that how that works? Is a magic wand involved? That makes as much sense as anything. Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to take the under. Uh, so by doing that, I'm basically, I guess, taking the field because all three of these races are close. So we've got Goldschmidt on one side, and then we've got all these guys chasing him on the other side. It just feels like it's easier to predict that somebody chasing him gets hot. could be any of those guys rather than he's going to keep up this pace. I, like The problem is, I, I know this isn't in keeping with the way I answered the last question. I don't know why I'm not picking with my heart on this one. Uh, I just had a weird burst of rationality for, for whatever reason. You know, nobody's won the Triple Crown in the National League in 85 years. What, what do you remember about Joe Medwick when oh, he yeah. played against him? Yeah, sure. I didn't play against him, but I know the name. <laughs> yeah. So we see we should be rooting for something to happen that hasn't happened in that long. But uh, I'm going to be logical, disagree with you, and take the under. Um, all right, let's do one more of these. You mentioned Albert. We got to do an Albert Pujols over under. So he's chasing 700 homers. We should do an over under on how many he finishes the season with, and then theoretically, his career. So why don't we make it 697 and a half? Over or under? Uh, well, I have a very specific number in my mind. I think he hit 697. Uh, I think because A-Rod has what, 696? I think he might just go yeah. one above A-Rod. Right. 
uh, just for the flair, for the dramatic, but saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave 700. I'm just going to leave it alone. <laughs> so that's where I'm, that's where I'm throwing it. I think it'll go up another notch on the list and then stop right there. Uh, so that's under, hmm. yeah, that, the answer would be under. Okay. I'm, I'm going over, you know, I just wrote all about Albert in my most recent weird and wild column. Check it out at the athletic. Um, this is just mind blowing. Who led the major leagues in slugging and OPS for the month of August? The correct answer is Albert Pujols, age 42. So can that guy hit four or five more home runs? I'm thinking, why the hell not? I'm I'm going over. I just am. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. We'll do a quick lightning round. Don't need any big explanations here. Mostly just go yes or no. If you want, if you want to throw in three words, I'll listen to them. Uh, you ready for this? Yeah, I'm absolutely okay. ready. Orioles make the playoffs, Doug. Yes or no? Mm, rooting for it, but I'm going to say no. Uh, I've seen a Blue Jay in my backyard beat up on an Oriole, so I think that just means the Blue Jays will prevail. <laughs> yeah, they're going to play each other a lot. Uh, it's, I, I'm going no. Then it's not quite their time yet. But wow, is this fun? Uh, Brewers make the playoffs, yes or no? I will say no again. I think the Padres will stave them off. Uh, Ozzie Timmons, my my good friend, is a hitting coach over there. I want him to do well. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what – they can't quite get in sync. And, you know, things just haven't haven't flowed the way they they could. Offensively, they've been inconsistent. The arms have to be kind of perfect. Yeah, I'm going to say no. It's the lightning round, you know. Yeah. Well, how do you call slow okay. lightning? Is there a slow li- like shock round? No, lightning's quick. Okay. It was a... uh, thunder sometimes rumbles a little bit. Yeah. Lightning thunder. goes zip, zip, zip. Thunder, Bam, here it thunder comes. Thunder round. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm going no with them also. Um, offensively challenged. Pitching staff not the same since the deadline. No. Uh, you know, they don't, uh, but the Brewers wouldn't have to just catch the Padres, they could also potentially catch the Phillies. If the Phillies faded also, Phillies <clears throat> Phillies make the playoffs. Yes or no? Yes. I mean, really incredible turn of events. Bryce Harper. I mean, that's I mean, that's a difference maker. Like they they have belief right now. Uh I'm gonna say yes. Are we gonna agree on everything? I, I I'm going yes too. They're just they're better than the Brewers right now. Um, Bryce Harper's got another gear. We'll, we'll we'll see it at some point. Okay, Guardians win the AL Central. Yes or no? I'm gonna say no because I'm gonna be stubborn and stick to my Minnesota Twins prediction from spring training, and that's it. That's the only reason. <laughs> well, the, they're, the Twins are right there, and uh, the Guardians having a little trouble scoring. But I'm I'm going yes. I just don't trust the Twins or the White Sox. Um, Patrick Corbin loses 20 games. Uh, he's got 17 as we talk about this. Yes or no? Wow. I wasn't really paying attention to that. So I will say no just because of that. I, I, don't, I don't want him to get to 20. Um, so I, I'll say I, no. I, I, yeah, I'm going to go no. I, I bet they won't let him <laughs> get to 19. Mike Marath. That was a long yeah, time ago, yeah. man. Mike Marath. Um, uh, Shohei Otani will lead all major league pitchers in double-figure strikeout games. Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because he decided that he wanted to. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> He's Otonic. Yes. Uh, all right, one more. Uh, 
Shohei Otani will lead the American League in triples. Yes or no? He's one back, just so you know. Well, now that we've put this on the airwaves, the answer is yes, because he listened to it, went Otonic on us, and just decided that he wanted to. And that's it. <laughs> Imagine a guy leading the major leagues in triples and, and double-figure strikeout games. What the heck? <laughs> that's ridiculous. I'm going to say no. I want to say yes, but if you looked at how hard it is to hit a triple now, like even for Otani, it's hard. So that's it. We got through the over-unders. We got through the lightning round. Now we're going to have a conversation with a man who's got some thoughts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's welcome in this week's very special visitor to Starkville. It's always a pleasure to welcome in our friend Joe Madden, but especially this week because it's been way too long since we've heard from him. So, Joe, thanks for visiting us here in Starkville. How are you? Uh, thanks for asking. I'm well. Um, I'm in uh, Sugarloaf, PA, which is right over that hill over there is Hazleton. <laughs> I'm living on the uh, Valley Country Club here. Um, Jay and I have really been fixing this place up a lot. It's it's a golf course Michael Jack used to take me to as a kid and all of his buddies. So this has got a lot of warm fuzzies attached, and I'm having a really good time. Great. I've seen that course. I've been yeah, there. that's right. You have. Right cool place. Right. Yeah. All right. So, look, it's been over two months since the Angels let you go. Uh, so you've been able to experience this thing we call summer. When's the last time you spent a summer not in baseball. And what have you done that you've never been able to do because you were in baseball? Well, 79, I think, uh, would go back to that, right? Um, or yeah, 79, because 79, 80. I uh, was let go by the Angels. I played a couple um, independent teams in the Cal League. Then came back here for the wintertime, got a job in a home for juvenile delinquents here in West Hazleton. Uh, mm -hmm. So I did that, that, that winter. And then Baldy Muschietti called me, brought me back to Boulder, um, for that, that summer, uh, season with the Boulder Collegians in 1980, that Joe Carter, Mark Langston, really good group. So that, that little transition period, 79, 80 is the last time I've experienced somewhat of a Pennsylvania summer. And I still insist it's the best. I'm a, I am a Pennsylvanian. Um, it's magical. The tomatoes are unbelievable. The corn on the cob right down here at Burger's uh, market. I go right to the farm. Um, so it's been right about then that I've actually had a schedule of just what I want to do. Wow. And do you watch baseball games or have you gone completely off the grid? I'm off the grid. I, um, I, I, once I got back here, um, 
I'm, I'm pretty good at shutting things down if I have to or want to. Um, so I have not watched a game, not even the all-star game. I was at my buddy's place the other day. Ricky Marshall had uh, the Phillies on. So I saw maybe an inning of a Philly Met game. Um, I'm not following. I read box scores. I still look at box scores. I still want to see how the angel guys are doing. The, you know, the guys that I've had, the players, um, and of course the staff, we stay in touch. And some of the players, I just uh, texted Mikey Trot happy birthday a couple of days ago. Um, so that's, that's still intact, but um, the need uh, the fix uh, to really watch a game is not there right now. And um, my plan is to get tired of doing this <laughs> before I want to do that. <laughs> so, so what's been the sort of biggest surprise of once you've sort of disconnected uh, that you found maybe joy in or, or just a kind of a new space you found? Yeah, honestly, I know it's it's uh, I'm overplaying, but it's golf. I mean, I I played it was like when I was a kid in the '70s, and I kind of put the clubs down from 19, like I said, 80, because I was I was married with kids and I had no money, so there's no way I'm going to play golf. And so <laughs> you go forward, and I was just a bike rider. My my extra time was what I put on a bicycle. Uh, but a couple of years ago, right post pandemic, right after it, I said I want to compete again. So I asked my wife, Jay, for a Christmas present to get me some golf clubs, just purely to compete. I mean, even if it's for 10 bucks, I don't care. Uh, but there's a difference. It's a difference when uh, you're doing your, you're performing the physical task at hand. And I have been obsessed. I read things. I watch things. I ask questions. I've made improvements. I've made adjustments. Uh, our course here has got really difficult greens. They're very quick. And uh, like the last week, I finally think I figured this, I don't say figured it all out, but <laughs> So it's golf. It's golf. I mean, and golf, um, it puts me on a different level in a sense with everything I talk to the players about, I'm talking to myself about. So it's kind of validating a lot of the things that I had taught with the players and it also more empathy. Like when things don't work, um, you know, you work, you work, you work, you practice, you practice, you practice, you go out there and you play and you stink. You know, it, it happens to you at any age here and it happens to your players. Um, so to get angry with a player that works hard, and doesn't get the results he's looking for is wrong. You just have to, and I've always said it, continue to stay with the process. So it's validating. It's, I mean, me playing this game is validating that. And right now, what I'm learning is even in this game, I was too mechanical in the beginning. And now, like, I'm playing so much better by just picking out targets and just um, uh, course management, seeing my next shot, exactly what a pitcher might have to do, a hitter might have to do, um, a defender might have to do. So a lot of parallels that I've been able to reconnect with by playing this game again. And I'm, I played in a couple of tournaments here. I think we came in sixth, me and my buddy the other day. So there's competition going on and I really enjoying it. <laughs> All right. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about baseball. Sure. Um, after you got let go, you, you had some pointed observations to Ken Rosenthal mm -hmm. about the state of baseball. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you had some more in a conversation with our friend Mark Topkin, who covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. But I feel like this is the first chance that people will have to hear you talk about the state of baseball in your voice. And, and that's important. So let's start here. You were one of the managers at the forefront of using data and information as innovatively as anybody in the game. And now you're pushing back at the way data and information are imposed on the game and on the people managing the game. So 
Why don't you start by telling us what you think has changed and what bothers you the most? Imposition. Uh, I still love the information. I utilize the information. Information's good. It's the imposition. I mean, it's to the point now where um, actually our general manager and head analytical guy was dressing in the coach's room. I mean, that shouldn't occur. Um, There's, it's imposition. I believe this. Okay, I want analytics. Uh, When I, if I ever were to run a team or if I manage again, um, I'd like to be able to have the authority, but I want analytics. I want, okay, Jason Stark, you're in charge of uh, setting up our defense. Great. But I also want uh, Mike Gallego with you in that room. And when you guys sit down and you're going to set up the defenses for the Oakland A's, it's not just you telling Mike to do what to do. I want Mike in there also. He's the head defensive coach on this team. So once you guys have sat down and gone through each player and the other team and decided this is how we're going to set up, third, short, second, et cetera, the analytical dude, you go back to your office and get ready for the next team. Okay, that's your job. Your jo- analytics, to me, that's just one, that's just one uh, example. It could also be done with pitching. I want analytical people on my staff, but I, I don't want them in the dugout. I don't want them in the clubhouse. I want them to do their job, give the work to the coaches, and let the coaches then teach the players. I don't need presenters in the dugout. I don't need presenters in the clubhouse. Uh, all these people really do know is what they are able to um, extrapolate from this machine uh, by, by uh, putting that in it. But they, it's getting to the point where their uh, impact or authority is exceeding that of a coach. And that's what I think is wrong. So I'm not arguing against analytics and information. I'm, ad- I'm arguing against the methods and the imposition with coaches. Uh, because at the point it is right now, you don't Managers, as an example, I'd have every day we get ready for the game and um, Harry and Alex would come in and they would start talking about how I should use the bullpen that night. Like I haven't done that for the last 40 years. Uh, When you do that, when these people do that, um, the game becomes cloudy. You're in the dugout. You know what you'd like to do, but these people have come downstairs prior to the game and they load you with stuff that's not necessarily helpful. It's just their opinion. And that's Theory and reality are two different worlds. So if I could just con- consolidate this. Yes, I'm into analytics. I've never been against it. I am not into the way it's being the imposition right now, where the analytical component of the game is gaining way more power than a coach and a Larry Boa or a Marcel Latchman or all these stellar uh, coaches who are really in charge of passing the game on to me. And then I'm in charge of passing it on to the next group of coaches, but I'm not getting that opportunity. There's not that opportunity. It's being um, it's being circumvented by information and data by baseball operations people who really never understood the game and don't know how to play the game, but they are in charge. And because of that, that's how the system is being run. And that's why, final point, every team looks the same. It's 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 a socialistic version of baseball. There's there's everybody wants to be the same team. There's no individuality left. So. Yes, I like analytics. I don't like the way it's being imposed. You know, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago about the, the state of modern managing, and it delved into some of what you're talking about. Um, um, I talked to a guy in a front office that I would describe as more balanced, I sure. guess, than Good word. all in on what you're what you're talking about. Good word. And uh, he used the exact phrase that you used in your conversation with Mark Topkin. Uh, we were sitting in the dugout before a game, and he looked over at the manager of the other team, and he said, now see, our guy is a manager. Their guy is a middle manager. Correct. 
meaning the game was basically scripted for him every night. You use that same terminology. So what did you mean by that? Well, that, what I mean is that exactly that. The, the guy in the dugout, me as a manager right now, you don't have the same kind of authority or autonomy that you've had in the past. I mean, back in the day, these guys would never walk into Gene Mock's office or into Billy Martin's office or into Earl Weaver's office and try to tell you how to utilize your players and, and then how to manage the game as it was in progress. Uh, that would never have occurred. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. There's uh, this interference and, and this method that's being uh, perpetrated because these the, the, the groups, the baseball ops group, to me, their primary objective should be acquisition of players. It's getting good players in your room. When you get good players in your room, any kind of analytics looks good. <laughs> I mean, and don't, don't be uh, deceived. Analytics are not this perfect method in a vacuum. They're all everybody's particular cocktail per team. And the teams with better players tend to have better analytical departments. And that starts with how do you get the players in the first place? That's where analytics shines for me, acquisitional process. It has it, it gets really way too much credit in a lot of other, other areas except for defense. But part of the reason why people don't like the game is where defensive stand, uh, players stand on. That is solid. That that really rarely varies. That is the large sample size and I'm there. But a lot of the other parts of the game, to me, we need a more of a small sample size. We need more, more of a snapshot in order to make better decisions, just like the game itself. Because from the moment the first inning to the ninth inning, things change, man. And we always want to go off the large sample size. It's not going to work. And I could not convince these people of that. So, yeah, um, uh, I'll give you an example. Andrew Friedman, why are the Dodgers so good? And why, have they, why do they continue to be so good? He's a great scout. I used to tell him that all the time. Andrew is a really good scout. And it's not that their analytics are any better when the game begins. It's because their players are better when the game begins. And if somebody gets injured, all of a sudden he'll bring somebody up with a name you've never heard about before. And this guy plays really well. So I think that's everybody, everybody gets caught up in this, this numerical uh, method of playing. It's not. It's not. It's all the same. If that's the case, why isn't Pittsburgh uh, vying for first place right now. They got a great analytical department. I know all these guys. So it's it's really a bill of goods in a lot of ways. Um, I, I it's 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 acquisition. Who am I going to who am I going to buy and why? And do I uncover um, Carlos Pena before he goes off and hits 46 home runs? Or the time Andrew called me on the phone and says, "What do you think about Fernando Rodney?" He says, eh. he says we think he's going to have a great year this year. Acquisitions. Um, that's the stuff that really where this stuff shines. And that's why the Dodgers are so good. And that's why Andrew's so good. Well, well, Joe, you know, you know, how do you make the distinction between this being sort of a, the arrow, the, the cultural arrow of baseball following it to the point where you can kind of universally say, yeah, this, this has become an imposition throughout the game versus yeah. what you've seen organizationally. You know, you've been, you know, work with the Cubs, you've worked with the angels, you've worked, You've seen it from different points of view. Do you think it's just the entire culture is headed that way, or or do you see it like organizational, where you see hope where some teams are doing it differently? There's a couple organizations I see hope, and the word was balance, and that's where they're. Uh, it's really hard to uh, achieve that these days, or have people want to achieve that these days. Uh, so there is a lack of balance. I, I think uh, industry-wise, it's all. It's been heading in that. It's nothing new. Um, you know, the, right behind me, that poster, that's book, where books coming out on, 
October 11th, me and Verducci, the book of Joe, and a lot of it addresses this. And I did this uh, during the pandemic. This is not like because I got let go and I'm all angry about stuff. This stuff has been going on for a while. So um, I talk to managers, we have conversations. It's been the same in, a, in, in most every, every place. Um, a lot of guys have not been uh, totally happy with the way uh, it works from the front office down to the dugout and how they are, um, I don't know if it's handled or directed on, on a daily basis. It is turned into a middle manager's job where it's not, it's not my call. Like it was, I mean, quite frankly, when I was with the, even with the Rays, Andrew, um, in spite of like, you know, Andrew was really into all this stuff. He permitted me to do my thing and we would argue. It was good. He and I would argue about stuff and it was healthy. And then even with the Cubs for the first couple of years, and then towards the end, it got away. And, um, and I had my conversations with Theo and Jed, or particularly Theo. And now uh, this year occurred and um, you, you saw what happened and I'm not here to beat up on anybody, but it's not just, it's not just the organizations I've been with. It's just a trend and it's not going to reverse. It's not reversing anytime soon um, because it's, it's this competition among front offices to, to get the uh, kind of credit for having the most advanced progressive methods and have them work and then be copied by others. I mean, I think that's part of the um, uh, competition. You know, I want to make it a point here before we keep going down this road. Um, there are a lot of old time baseball dudes who are in the kind of the get off my lawn club and all, and all they do is spew about analytics and they don't even take the time to understand what it is. Uh, you and I've had a lot of conversation about this. Uh, you're not one of those people. I think it's safe to say Doug and I are not two of those people. Should we feel a need to remind people who are listening to this of that point before we go on? Sure. I mean, I, I think I said in the beginning, I want all this information. I do. I just don't like the way it is. I like the way it's gathered, but then I don't like the way it's implemented. Like I said, um, it gets to the point where the pregame is a meeting every day and it's an elongated meeting and players don't need all this information. Quite frankly, they need nuggets. They don't need a dissertations. And the more people you get involved in baseball operations and the more people you hire and pay, they're going to generate more information. I mean, Doug's sitting right here. Doug, as a hitter, what did you need to know when you came up to the plate? You're facing, I don't know, you could pick out a good pitcher. What was the thing you wanted to know? You might have wanted to know uh, the first pitch. Is he a first pitch fastball guy in this situation? Uh, does he like to dump breaking ball? Uh, was he, you know, little things like that. Where's his release point? What do you, but you just need a nugget. You don't need all this. People want to tell you how to build a watch. I just need to know what time it is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's so much data to synthesize, and and you can only yeah, do exactly. so much in real time. I mean, that's that's the challenge. And I appreciate. It. I remember one time you were on. You said that at this point, everybody has the same data. There, you know, you could chase each other on who has fancier sure. data, but we're all building the same car. I remember you said that, mm -hmm. and yeah. and mm -hmm. so you know, even from the standpoint of the interest of the game, you know, people like to see the diversity. You know, you're you mentioned being in Pennsylvania. And there's a cultural connection you make to where you're from, right? And and you want to have that soul in all these teams, right? I, I was a Phillies fan growing up, and there was Harvey Wallbangers, and there was, you know, whatever. All these teams had, had yeah. personality. And so, yes, if you're working in the same data, it, it's, it's hard to separate it. And um, and as you mentioned, it's just been trending that way. Well, that's what I was talking about. I, I could stand, if I'm sitting 100 yards away, if you put a 56 Chevy or 57 Chevy, and just say, I don't know, uh, DeSoto and 
maybe a some like a, a Ford station. You'd be able to identify these cars from 100 yards away, and they'll all be different colors. Now everything's gray, white, or black, and the lines are the same. Every all the edges have been uh, shaven off in in, uh, in order to become more aerodynamic. But there's no there's no character to this. And so when everybody wants a different car, uh, whatever, they all look the same. They all have the same interiors. They're all the same thing. So I really appreciate the artistic component of the way automobiles were built back in the day. And I like the way baseball teams were built back in the, the Dodgers. Really good pitching when Tommy was there. They loved to hit and run. They loved it. They loved to steal bases, put pressure on the defense. Of course, uh, and then Earl, three-run home run, Billy Ball. He wanted to do all kinds of stuff, and he, and he really pushed his starting pitchers. Every team had an identity. I really liked the Philadelphia identity, quite frankly. And when you think about it, I know John Cruck. I know Larry Bow. I just played golf with Charlie Manuel. Um, up and down, all these guys, Luzinski, this, this, they, they are tough. You got to be tough to play in Philadelphia. I love those guys when I have a chance to converse. But there's an identity among former Philadelphia Philly players. You, you got to be tough to survive in that environment down there. And they are. They're really tough. They're tough guys and they're funny. They got, these guys are funny. They make me laugh. They got great senses of humor. They're not afraid. So every group had their own identity. <clears throat> And I, right now, it's, it's hard to say that other than, um, you know, the way the branding of the player, uh, the way they celebrate achievement uh, during the game, um, it's, just, it's just all the same. And it's, that's the part to me that's very uninteresting. <clears throat> when you were first managing at Tampa Bay, what were you allowed to do? Um, what did Andrew empower you to do? that you've seen a road. Um, I remember you uh, telling me how you'd wake up in the morning, you'd take your laptop mm -hmm. to Starbucks, you'd go through the data packet for the night and plan like plan out the game in your head. Um, was that was that a little taste of what it used to be? Well, yeah, I mean, and even a lot of the defensive stuff you saw, I brought that to them too. I yeah. mean, the four-man outfield, the stuff that I, because. When, here's the thing people don't understand. When I was with the Angels in the 90s and early 2000s, I did all that stuff. All this stuff that 50 guys are doing, I used to do by myself. This is not patting on the back. I had all that stuff, maybe not as accurately because I didn't have GPS systems and I didn't have all this video <laughs> data with marks on it to put exactly where that line should be or that dot should be. But I did that. I did all that. I tracked um, when teams ran on would count. And I looked at runners at first base where they tip in anything off as an example. Uh, defense, I would go out to the dugout before the game, before the first game uh, on the road uh, prior to early work. And I'd go and I'd stand in one spot and have somebody move left field, center field, right field, short second. So I could find out what straight up was and mark a sign behind them. So I knew where a guy was when he was straight up. And then I could move him up straight up. I mean, all this stuff was done. And now all of a sudden there's a, a this group of people doing the same thing and they give it a little bit more um you know fancier names and all of a sudden it becomes popular we've been doing this stuff has been done forever i you can make the argument maybe not as accurately uh because we our scouting a lot of it was done us versus the team that you're playing it wasn't we weren't scouting every team every night back that we didn't have the facilities to do that so of course there's a little bit more accuracy but the actual overall concepts are exactly the same. You just didn't have the same uh, glut of information in order to make sure that, yeah, I want that shortstop four steps to his left 
into the hole versus so-and-so because I've just scouted the last uh, thousand at bats with this particular hitter. So it's, it's a little bit more uh, accurate. It's all the same. You, you, yeah. You, you know, the manager used to have so much power oh, yeah. in the game. Uh, now it feels like the manager has more responsibility than ever. There's always somebody you got to talk to and meet with, but less power than ever. Is that accurate? Yeah. When I, yes, uh, absolutely. It's accurate. When I came in as an interim manager, right? Seven, nine, 1996, right? When Marcel, I think it was for yeah. Marcel. No, 99 for TC because 96, that was uh, Marcel. And then Johnny Mack that I took for Johnny Mack. But when I was interim manager, I told Billy Bavese, I want to have a meeting with what I perceive to be the lead bulls. And that we could get into that. The most influential guys on the team. So I had one month left in the season and I called him into this meeting room and I'm sitting at the head of the table and I got about 10 guys in there. And we talked about how we're going to run this thing for the next month. Nobody was interfering with that. Nobody. Nobody was. This was our This was our gig. Um, whether it was clubhouse, kids in the clubhouse, plane rides, post games, whatever you want to call it. We did this ourselves. And I, as a manager, I continued to do that. But my point is back then, I told Billy that. And then I said to Billy this. I said, one hour before the game, I don't want anybody in my office. I'm getting ready for the game. Wow. You get guys five minutes before the game now, and they're just downloading stuff to you the whole time before the game begins. Whereas as a, I don't know, 40 some year old manager, interim manager, I was able to say to Billy, I don't want anybody here. I took the TVs out of the clubhouse. I walked in one day, I'm interim manager. I walked in one day, I saw a player asleep on a couch in front of a TV right as the game was beginning. I said, I want the TVs out of the clubhouse. Gone. The next day, gone. So it, it, listen, I'm not, I'm not arguing right or wrong right here. I'm just telling you, you asked the question. There is a significant difference in the authority of a manager now compared to back then. You have to ask and get permission for everything. Now, back used to work act unilaterally almost all the time. Well, you know, I guess the, the tough part trying to sort out is, you know, how much mm -hmm. of this is what all these industries are doing right um you sure. know like i think of uh i always go back to this play i'm watching a denver nuggets game and they're down by two and there's times running out they have like a three on one and the guy pulls up at the three-point line the defender the one defender covers him so then he throws it cross court mm -hmm. to, to the other guy who's wide open and instead of dribbling it to the hoop he <laughs> backs up to the three-point line and fires a three and misses and they lose by two. <laughs> so I was like, what is going on, right? So right. Um, so is there something to the to baseball that the whether, you know, the opinion has much more strength to it? Is there something to baseball that kind of has, whether it's a higher standard or an expectation that the, the, the depth of how we feel this is different? I th my, yeah, I mean, this this is the game. I mean, I, I'm always upset that we're not references to national pastime anymore when they start talking about all these other sports surpassing us. Um, you, you don't, they don't have basketball cards that date back to 1800. I mean, just paid 12 million bucks for a Mickey Mantle card. Somebody just did that. And I thought to myself, what's Mikey Trout's card going to be worth 50 years from now, possibly. But yeah, baseball's got a, a much deeper, richer, more rooted history than any of these other sports. Football has an argument. Uh, but basketball doesn't, I don't think, when it comes to basketball. is more popular now for a lot of different reasons. But baseball is the game. 
And we need to get it being spoken of as the national pastime once again. But the way we're running it right now and the way the game is being played and in this, this uh, homogenized method of playing where nobody ever wants to be anything different, it's going to be difficult to arrive at that point again. We don't even talk about I, – I did read it the other day. Triple crown. I guess Goldschmidt's doing pretty good this year. And I, I read a triple oh, yeah. crown note. Nobody talks about triple crowns anymore. I don't even know if most young guys, people even know what that is. I, I want to see a 20-game winner. I want to see a triple crown winner. I want guys to talk about batting average uh, during the course of the game and not just OPS and slugging percentage. Everybody's been trained. We're training everybody to be this way. And, and it started with the front offices. They've trained. They've, they've, they've recreated the, uh, the method uh, the, the way we describe our game and the um, and what is considered important, and what is not, uh, it's all been recreated. And and I miss I miss just a good old fashioned 300 hitter. I do. I miss an, a good old fashioned 20 game winner. Um, and don't tell me they're not productive players. If you're hitting 300, you're productive. And if you're winning 20 games, you're pretty darn good. You're throwing a lot of innings to get to that point. So I, I'd love to see a, resur- a marquee matchup in pitching. My goodness, they used to happen every day. Nobody even talks about that stuff anymore. What do you? What are we? What are we promoting uh, on a nightly basis when when baseballs everywhere? The ubiquitous method of of if it's so easy to see now. Also, I think takes away from it. You know, as a kid, you had to work. Uh, maybe the game of the week, whatever. And I, I'm I'm not gonna pound the drum for old like that. It's just that it's so easy to watch and see now and. And what everybody's seeing on every channel is the same same thing without the individuality uh, per organization and to a certain extent, the players. You know, we've had Theo on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done an annual appearance every year to talk about the stuff he's working on. And it struck me the other day that there's so much irony in the fact that he was one of the guys at the forefront of using analytics and information. You were one of those guys at the forefront. And now you're both so vocal about trying to push the game back in the other direction. Do you see that irony? And have you and Theo talked about this? We haven't, but I mean, yes and no. I mean, again, he's all, he's into analytics and so am I. It's just, right. it's, but you need, you need real baseball being played out there and you have need real baseball people uh, having a, a louder, stronger voice. Um, you know, for years now, I mean, I, uh, I used to uh, talk to my, my coaches that I worked with in the minor leagues, and I told them coming up in the early 2000s, you guys really need to understand all this analytical stuff that's going on. Otherwise, if you do not, you're going to deem yourself unemployable. And I, I, that was exactly the line I used to uh, try to counsel them with. Um, What's happening is, and what Theo's talking about, I think I know what I'm talking about. I think it's the same page. Again, we're just relying on numbers and the and the human elements being subtracted. I've talked about data versus art uh, for the last several years, and data is really overrunning the heartbeat. The art of the game is really being uh, held secondarily, where the this numerical component that everybody wants to um, uh, promote and uh, is. And those that are promoting, and listen, this was all due respect. And it's they just don't understand the game as much as they understand math. And and they're the ones that are promoting this game as opposed to, like I said, I use Larry as an example, Larry Boa. And I listen, I talk, I was I went golf with Charlie Manuel. I was in a golf tournament with Charlie down in Easton a couple of weeks ago. God did I love that conversation. 
Charlie yeah. Manuel is great for the game. He's great. He's great, like to be in a dugout on a nightly basis, and and for have, for reporters to ask him questions after the game unencumbered. See, the thing is, we're not unencumbered anymore. A lot of this stuff you are unable to say or able to say would be scripted via the front office before you even walk into the press room afterwards. They'll give you an idea. Don't talk about this as an example. If there's an injury, you have to really frame it the right way. Uh, I think the game misses people like Charlie. And Char- you know, I knew Charlie. I worked against him in the World Series. But that one 18-hole event with him convinced me that's so what we're missing are people like him um, to be in a ballpark in a dugout on a daily basis for the fans and for the kids, the players, to listen to and learn from. He's not, they're not going to get dissertations. They're not going to get equations and, and, and rapsodos and track man from him, but they're going to get some really nice, not nice, good, solid uh, town home information. <laughs> the nugget we were talking about better, that's going to help them tonight. You cannot process all this crap every day and think it's going to help you individually. You can't. You know, we had uh, Alex Anthopoulos on our last show, and mm-hmm. I actually asked him about the coaching staff of the Braves, mm-hmm. Brian Snitker, Ron Washington, Kevin Seitzer, Eric Young, Rick Kranitz. I could keep going. Yeah. Sal Fasano. Yeah. Um, like these are old time baseball guys, yep. but I wouldn't describe them as old school thinkers. I mean, that. That's one of those teams that I think uh, is run the way you're you're trying to script out. In fact, Alex used the word balanced yeah. to describe the way they used information. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could talk about balance in many different sure. ways, but is, is that the perfect description of the balance you're trying to depict? Yeah. The way and, that team's and, and run? again, I mean, what, what does progressive mean anyway? Does this mean that you... Somebody comes to you with a new idea and all of a sudden you have to adopt it blindly because it's a new idea and this guy's supposed to be young and smart. Am I just supposed to accept that blindly and think it's better? I mean, when the word progressive is used, sometimes that turns me off because that doesn't necessarily mean it's better. It just means it's a new thought and you're trying to implement it. You're trying to push it without sometimes without any real basis. So, um, yeah, I like I like the staff down there. And I had a great staff with the Angels. Look at look at around the diamond there. I had a great staff and it is a great staff. These guys, and they're getting their butts kicked all year. And this is an outstanding staff where, and I mentioned it with the Topkin article, where uh, the acquisition process doesn't get punished, but the coaches and managers do. It's, it's, when a team goes bad, look at who you, who's there and, and the process and the philosophy being implemented and who's actually running that. That's, that's what has to be discerned and understood. Because right away, if a, if a player brought in, player supposed to be really good, got a great reputation, whatever, or you paid a lot of money for him and does poorly, it's got to be somebody's fault. It's got to be somebody's fault. And to me, a lot of times it goes right to the manager, the coaches, particularly the coaches. And it's not true. Sometimes you have to step back and you have to evaluate your acquisitional methods and how you got this guy in the first place. And maybe you misread it. I'm talking about people in baseball ops. And to me, that's where a great disconnect occurs because too much blame is placed in the dugout and not enough in the front office. Can you give us sort of context around, on one hand, you know, we do see this data revolution or wave or mm-hmm. directionality. But on the other hand, you also have, mm-hmm. you know, these young players that are kind of, you know, 
outside the box, right? They're kind of, I mean, do you see a collision happening? Like, or, you know, bat flips and, you know, just sort of, you know, sliding into third with a cell phone in your back pocket or whatever. There you go. I mean, is there, do you see a collision sort of juxtaposition here? And like, you know, where do you see that going? <laughs> I think it's going to continue. Uh, I don't see it going anywhere. I, I don't even, I, the players, um, when it comes to all this information, the players, when they're, like doing their bullpen, right? It's not about throwing the pitch. How did it feel? Did I execute the pitch? Um, you know, did I did I follow up balance? Was I offline? It's right to the machine. What was the spin rate? You know, there's a, there's a lot of that. It goes it goes away from the actual execution, feel, implementation to the mechanical, technical information, spin rates, etc. So that's not going away. And that, again, I'm just briefly. I get I was getting caught up in that in my golf stuff. You know, there's so much stuff you can do, you know, to to become better golfer by uh, videotaping and getting all these different machines. But that's not helping you. Eventually, you got to hit the ball. It's got to be straight. And you got to know what you're doing. But these every all these players, whether it's hitters or pitchers now, they immediately want to know what that what did it say? What did it say? That, uh, what was the exit <laughs> velocity? What was the spin rate? So it, it's it's the actual execution of the game is being diminished and. There's, listen, I'm into that stuff. I would want that. I would want that, but I would want that where I get the information primarily and the player just gets bits and pieces of that, especially if he's off. If he's on, just keep doing what you're doing and we'll monitor this, we'll watch this, and if you start to sweat, uh, vary a bit and you're having less performance, I'll be here to help you with that. But to totally rely on that all the time, to me, you're taking away from the essence of the game the, the ability to play, the ability to make adjustments, the ability to feel what you're doing out there. And I think they're all into that. I'm just, I'm saying like answering your question, the players are all into the information based on um, all the new technology involved and too much less, less emphasis on the actual uh, playing of the game, implement, implementation of the game. And how do I get this done? And how do I make adjustments on the fly without the help of anybody else? You know, I'm not sure if you saw the story that Ken Rosenthal wrote recently about Rod Carew leading a group of Hall of Famers who were confronting Rob Manfred in Cooperstown about their unhappiness with the direction they think the game is heading. Uh, it was a lot of these same themes. Um, did you see that piece? And would it surprise you to hear that Rod and several of the Hall of Famers described the commissioner as being uh, really uncomfortable with that whole conversation. Well, I mean, I, I, Rodney called me the other day, and I've been trying to get back in touch with him. So Rodney and I've uh, uh, trying to reconnect a little bit. So I, I don't have firsthand information. I was, I did read about it. I didn't get any detail, um, mm -hmm. but I could see where there would have been an uncomfortable conversation. Of course, it, it was, especially was in front of a group of people. I would imagine it would be. And uh, the commissioner and I get along great. I mean, I when it when it comes to a lot of this stuff, I mean, I think he gets blamed for a lot of things, and of course. The buck stops there, but there's a lot of people pushing stuff on him constantly, too. And I think it becomes uh, slightly confusing. I mean, I'm not into a runner at second base, and I'll never be into a runner at second base. I hate the three batter minimum. You want to be critical of managers and then and, and force them to have pitchers face three hitters and lose a game. Stop. And that's, that's part of it, too. You're criticizing a manager in a game when a lot of his hands are tied. A couple of years ago, I was criticized for not bunning in extra innings where we had a, a bad record of losing in extra innings. I mean, it's insane. You put a runner at second base. No, you can't bring, this pitcher's got to face three hitters, even though that second 
that 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 matchup is awful. It's awful, but you got to do it anyway. Those are the kind of things that I wish. I don't even know to what extent the commissioner conceded to all that stuff. I don't know that, but those are the kind of things I don't like. And has anybody uh, in baseball reached out to you? You've been speaking out about this stuff. Has anybody reached out to you to say, "Help us with this"? No, uh, no, it's no, uh, and that's fine. Like I said, I'm, I'm I'm having a good time here right now. I've had <laughs> I've had different reach outs. Yes, I've had reach outs for different opportunities. And the thing is, honestly, I don't want to try to plug, but I'm going to plug the book of Joe's coming out on October 11th. And I'm curious about the reception with that. I think that's going to um, tell me what I should try to do next or what I should do next. And it's, it's this is not banging on baseball. Don't get me wrong. This is a lot of, you know, personal philosophies. It's about uh, comparing and contrasting managers of the 80s that I knew to what the, it's kind of like the questions we're asking or talking about right now. But then it also addresses the Cubs at the end there, and it addresses the, a little bit of the Angels at the end. But it, it, I, I don't want it to be controversial, but I just it will expose my, in term, my personal philosophies, which is good, because I don't want to work anymore unless it's with somebody I really feel good about working with. I mean, you have to be philosophically aligned. Uh, you have to be able to disagree. You have to be able to argue. Uh, and you have to be, as a manager, left alone uh, also uh, when the game begins. Um, because if, if people, if groups only want middle managers, I'm not going to fit anymore. I, I won't. And I get that. And that's that's fine. I mean, there's nothing I could do about that. But if somebody wants somebody that actually manages and has an understanding of how a game runs and the ebb and flow of the game and has experience, then I'll be the person for that group. Um, so, again, I got to wait and see how this is uh, received. And I think that's going to give me direction moving forward. And, and then I'll, yeah, I'm absolutely open to conversations uh, listen, I've been in this, I've been so passionate about this game for so many years. And to be sitting here right now and not even wanting to watch it on television, I'm trying to figure out what does that mean? I, I, I don't know what that means, um, meaning that am I through with this? Am I done with this? Have I lost interest in this? Do I not like the product? I mean, what does this mean? And so I'm, I'm just trying to give it time. And I'm just trying to not be over analytical of myself. I, I like to eyes open, ears open, don't open your mouth too much and just see, uh, let that all seep in and eventually I'll come to some conclusions. Well, you know, Joe, sometimes, you know, it's, it's like there's pain in, in the game that we love, right? And, and like a mm -hmm. strike or the steroid or the controversies, mm -hmm. but there's mm -hmm. also these moments of uh, brings you back, right? It, it kind of mm -hmm. Cal Ripken Jr. streak or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything, you know, whether watching directly or not, that you, you feel could be that agent of change for you. Uh, you know, Albert Pujols, you're, you know, you're watching uh, people you've been connected with for so long. It's a, it's a family. And I'm curious if there's yeah. anything you, that you know, might surprise you and be like, oh, wow, yeah, wow, this is, this is really interesting to watch. And that's kind of bringing me back to the fold. Well, I like, I like what Buck and the Mets are doing. You know, I, I like, I, you know, because I know Buck pretty well. And I'm really... Um, and, and Dusty, quite frankly, I mean, I guess I'm rooting for the guys that are my age in a sense, but I know who they are and I know how they do things. I know their individuality. I know their, their passion for the game. So I'm looking at the success of guys like that. And again, not to, I don't want to present this wrong. I just, I just know who they are. And I know obviously we all do how long they played the game, how long they've been involved in the game and their approach to the day is different than somebody that just gets a managerial job. Um, Major League managerial job is their first gig. I don't know how that happens. I mean, back in the day, you had to really earn your stripes 
and come up and do different things in order to get to that point. So the success of, of the tried and true guys like that, I'm, I'm really curious about uh, probably as much as anything. Uh, the other thing, I mean, and the one thing I've talked, I've talked to myself about, maybe a couple of close friends, ownership, um, you know, where um, I'd love to see a group that just totally commits to balance in the game and, and really understands the significance and, and the reason why you bring in and hire former great players and coaches, not just players, coaches. Because right now in the minor leagues, minor league, young minor league coaches and staff are not getting mentored in a way that they're going to be able to pass this on to the next group. They're not. I was fortunate. I had people like Bob Cleary. You've never heard of Bob Lou. Bob Lou is one of the, maybe the best baseball coach I've ever met. I had Benny Hines as a hitting coach. I had Marcel Latchman as a pitching coach. I had Larry Himes teach me how to scout. And even before that, the guys I scouted with, like Gene Thompson, who pitched for the Chicago Cubs in the 30s. I, I hung out with uh, uh, Carl Hubble. I mean, I hung out with guys like this that passed it along to me. There's nobody passing this thing along. And I don't, I don't know that people understand that or are concerned about that enough. Because if you don't have like this, this connection um, as, it's, as it should be, at some point, it's just gonna, it's gonna fade and die because a lot of these young players right now have no clue about players that even played 20 years ago. And you know, back when we were doing this, hell, I knew guys that played in the 20s. I was a big French Ricky fan. And if I, if I could talk to, and I did uh, Preston Gomez, to talk about Mr. Ricky, come on. So I have some connection to Branch Ricky because of Preston Gomez and the things that Mr. Ricky thought were important. These guys aren't getting any of that uh, word, to, to, uh, word of mouth kind of uh, information or hand-me-down stuff. It's not there because we're not hiring the kind of people to augment your minor league programs that, that will pass that line. That's one thing I liked. I was trying to get done with the Angels was I wanted a, an Uber group of minor league coaches to coach the coaches. Um, come in as a as an example, like Ron Rennick, that would be a perfect fit for he'd go into town and, and work with the managers, be crit, crit, uh, critique them post game and the third base coaches as an example. Of course, they'd be able to run with, work with the players too, but somebody needs to coach the coaches and that's not happening. Joe, let me ask you this. Um, this vision of baseball that we're talking about, is it possible still to get to that vision or are there too many forces pushing in the other direction at this point? Well, if I, uh, I, I would, I'm an optimist, but in this one, I'm just also pragmatic. I think there's too many forces. I don't think we'll ever, um, wow. again, like I said, it would take one kind of a maverick owner that would want to try to do it differently and uh, work it from the ground up. I mean, that, it just has to start in the minor leagues. You, know, you just can't look at it, this, this beautiful major league picture where everybody's, you know, pretty good. And although they haven't worked out all the kinks anymore because they spend way less time in the minor leagues, but I'm talking about building higher scouts again, real scouts, get out there, real scout scouting. I know it got me to get, you get blowback on that because it's more efficient to just study video and data and we can get the same things done. I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, I still, again, I want that, but I want like real good. I want boots on the ground. I want people that know I want people that can look at a guy and say, Man, I like the way his body moves. Uh, this guy definitely, I could see him as a legitimate shortstop in the big league someday. Just by looking at him take ground balls, uh, take infield practice. When I saw Donnie Hill at Arizona State make two errors or three errors in the first game, I saw him and loved him. 
you know. So th- you just these these are things that there's not enough people out there doing this stuff anymore. But I would like a real organization with real baseball built from the bottom up again. That would be fascinating to me. Uh, you know, D- Doug mentioned Albert Pujols, and I, mm-hmm. I did want to ask you about him. I, even if you haven't watched a lot of baseball, I'm sure you're aware that. Since the All-Star break, so for over a month now, Albert's been one of the best hitters in the game. And he's just crushing it against left-handed pitching. He's got a better OPS against left-handed pitching than Aaron Judge. Did did you see uh, a version of Albert that could still be this guy at this stage? Well, we thought the same thing as against lefties. But the problem with us, with the Angels, was that we had Otani to DH. Right. And then uh, when I was able to, when he was pitching, I was still able to put him um, in, I would do the, 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 this double switch and put him in the outfield for a bit. So there was, we played, we didn't play with the DH when Otani pitched. And then when he didn't pitch, it was a DH. So there was really limited time for Albert to hit with the angels. That's really what it came down to. And then Jared Walsh was ascending. And, and at some point you have to look at your younger players the angels needed to build for the future. They did not need to build for the present. So we were trying to get all this done. Albert needed to play and he needed to play against lefties, but they're just with, with Shohei being Shohei, there wasn't enough opportunity there. So yes, he could hit a lefty. That was obvious even then. Um, uh, but that's, that's where he ended up with the Dodgers and now he's with St. Louis. And I know he's going having a great time there because that's where he began. And that's, we're just talking about the roots earlier. So, doesn't surprise me that he's that he's uh, uh, killing it versus lefties. Hey, hey, can I ask you about Shohei too? Since you sure. brought him up, uh, what, what do you think the future looks like for Shohei? What would have to happen for him to stay an Angel? And is that even possible? Oof, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's possible. Um, it's not impossible. Of course, it's not. Um, you know, of course, it's going to take money. <laughs> That's what the possibility like, <laughs> Not of uh, it. you know, it's not, it's, that's really what it's going to come down to. And if Artie's going to sell the team now, the new owner comes in and um, sees it that way, then, then of course it could be possible. Um, but I was, you know, he is that good. <laughs> um, I saw what he did against Toronto the other day. Um, if you're trying to trade this guy, don't you have to think of him as two players? It's like you're actually trading for two players, like two all-star players. Um, so doesn't that automatically jack it up? Um, and I, I love the guy. We had a great relationship. Him and his um, translator, Ipe. Ipe and I, it was, it was really, really uh, well done. Um, he is as good as he looks to be. He does, he, and here, oh, here's analytics. I mean, this guy doesn't need a scouting report. Um, <laughs> why would you even give Shohei a scouting report? Uh, why? Anyway, here's a perfect example. Whether he's hitting or playing deep or pitching, why give him a scouting report? If he asks you a question, he wants a nugget, give it to him. Otherwise, stay out of there. Um, and that happens actually a lot more than people realize. Uh, but this guy, you know, with good health, like everybody else says, um, he can do this for a bit. And I, I didn't see the pitching when I first showed up in 2020. His arm was kind of bummed out. And then when that got better, my God. I mean, <laughs> this well, he just competes. I talked about that earlier. Shohei competes. He'll watch a hitter. He knows how he feels. He'll make adjustments in game as well as anybody ever. And, and uh, you, Darvish, you was the same way. I know they're both Japanese, but um, Darvish and, and, and uh, Shohei reminded me a lot of one another, the way they were able to pitch, create on the run. One day, Sho- um, 
huge Darvish is in ready to play a game in Chicago. He walks out to the bullpen and Kyle Hendricks is standing there and he asks Kyle, show me how you throw your changeup. So Kyle gives him the grip, goes in the bullpen, comes out and puts that right in play during the game. He has such feel for the game. And that's, that's Shohei. He has such feel for the game. Um, he has bought probably as high as baseball IQ of anybody I've ever had. Jimmy Edmonds was yeah. like that. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy was an incredible baseball IQ. Shohei is an incredible baseball IQ. He just he's able to see things and process things a little bit quicker than everybody else. You know, Shohei just blows my mind. And I still feel like baseball hasn't done a good enough job of selling what he is and what he's doing. There's never been anybody like this in the history of any sport. Joe, he's got a chance to lead the league in double-figure strikeout games and triples. Right? He's a real it? person. Think yeah. about it. No, I saw it. You know, I was watching it. Um, <laughs> I agree with you. It's like, uh, I don't know. I think the fact that the team wasn't, you know, we didn't play up to, I don't can't even say capabilities. We're trying to build something. But if he was on a team that was a little bit more obvious um, and had been playing better, maybe. But it's obscurity. It's late at night on the East Coast when he's playing out there. I mean, there's all these little things going on, not on national te television often enough. There's like if he was a Cub doing that stuff, my God, or a Yankee <laughs> doing that stuff, it would be he would get all the publicity that you're talking about. I just think working in obscurity in Anaheim right now um, has it's hurt that. There's no question about that. But he's. He's all of that, man. He's all of that. The guy lives and breathes baseball, and I really enjoy the conversations with him. He's very bright. He doesn't miss anything, and he is that good. Well, Joe, I, you know, the one thing when I think of Otani is um, it, it kind of restored the awe that, I, that you love to feel. Um, I think that was kind of stolen in many ways in the PEDs, and, you know, you kind of started to question authenticity. You started to question what you're seeing is real. For me, he brought that back, the, the sense of, you know, reducing me to that eight-year-old watching the game of the week, playing Stratomatic baseball, and just having that sense of awe watching batting practice at Chase Stadium. And um, I, I think that, that is, that's so transformational, and there's so much potential. And to Jason's point, I think the game needs to do more with that. Are there any other players? I mean, Otani's in his own space, but mm -hmm. that sort of reflect that balance you're talking about that you can see uh, mm -hmm. maybe young guys, you know, you have Trout, you've, you've had Trout, Pujols, and Otani. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's already mind-blowing. We <laughs> can start with those guys. But yeah. were there other players that you said, okay, that, that that player gives me hope? Well, I like Bregman. I like Bregman a lot with Houston. I like Correa, the shortstop that left there. I thought these these guys are absolutely uh, those kind of players. The young kid in Seattle right now, uh, Gonzalez, right? He was, yeah, I, yeah, I just, uh, Rodriguez, I just saw him a little bit. I just saw him a little bit, but man, that was very interesting. You know, and like, okay, let me just go back. Javi, you know, Javi was that guy a couple years ago. It was, it was so fascinating and fun to watch him on a nightly basis. That whole cub group, um, you know, for that brief period of time, uh, I thought they were uh, just dripping with charisma, good guys, good baseball players. Uh, I thought there was a lot of hope within that particular group. Um, since I, I, I don't know that, um, baseball today, the way it's being run has a tendency, a little, not a little bit, but a lot to stand in the way of greatness. There's all these governors, restrictor plates put on everything, especially with the pitchers as an example. Um, I think that's part of it that we, we, we get in the way of greatness a little bit right now, 
And I, I like charisma. I don't like forced um, displays. You know people that are charismatic just naturally and those that maybe attempt their, whether it's so, through social media or just, you know, conversationally, you know, guys like that and I, so do I. Um, but I thought that Cub team had charisma. I thought there was a lot of Anthony Rizzo is another example. Even, you know, Wilson Contreras. I mean, we had Johnny Lester, uh, Johnny Lackey. There was a, that was just dripping with a lot of that stuff there. And that's what you're looking for, I think, to really latch on to a team. Of course, you want them to be good, but you want charismatic players that people can relate to and, and, and want to hear what they have to say and can't wait to watch them that particular night. And they're going to see the stolen base or they're going to see the – we talk about no hit and run, the bunt for hit, the, the pitcher that does go nine innings and throws a complete game. Um, we're getting in the way of greatness. We're putting too much restrictions on these guys too, and that, that bothers me also because even – as a minor league instructor, I recognized that when a minor league pitcher was able to throw a nine inning complete game shutout, he was it was almost always transformational for these players. Well, Joe, before we let you go, I want to give you a chance to plug okay. uh, Respect Ninety Foundation, you. which you can find at respect90.org, and the book of Joe coming out in October. What, what should people know about both of those? Well, the Respect Ninety Foundation, um, you know, it's it's been it got more difficult because of the, the pandemic to do our, our normal events. Right now we have golf tournaments and I had to cancel one. I get fired. So I had to cancel the one in Newport beach. That was a big number too. Um, yeah. But we came back here and did it here in Hazleton, the Valley country club. We did it in spring training this year. So the, the respect 90 is still going well. We're still, um, you know, trying to do different events in order to raise some money. Um, and uh, we started trying to sell my food products back here that we started in Chicago uh, I'm not out there as much right now. I think it's more difficult. If, if I get back into a situation, a more high profile job, I'll probably jump back out there a little bit more, but we haven't gone away. It's still, it's still functioning. It's still doing well. The Hazleton integration project is still kicking butt here in town. Something we started in 2010 to bring the Anglo and uh, Hispanic cultures together in our hometown here. It's doing great. I mean, like, great. So uh, that's still running well. And we, Respect 90 is a primary funder of that particular group right there. Uh, the Book of Joe um, got together with Tommy Verducci to do this. Tommy is, I mean, I always knew he was good, but getting to work with him this closely, my goodness, uh, he's brilliant. He is. Um, he's such a good fella, too. Anyway, came up with the uh, premise that we're going to do a comp with the managers of, like I said, the 80s. Gene Mock was my guy. He was kind of my, I idolized Gene Mock as a young player uh, coach. So we started with that kind of group and compare and contrast what's happening, what happened back then and what's happening today in today's game with the managerial position. We've already talked a lot about that. And then all of it's my personal philosophical stuff on how to do things, things that I've done in the past, how I arrived at this point, the different phrases that I've utilized and why and, and how they're rooted. Um, so there's a lot of that going on in there too. And then eventually uh, did do the a chapter on the Cubs to try to um, clarify a lot of the things that occurred uh, in the playoffs that you're in the world series. And even though you win, you have to still clarify things. And then, uh, and then with the angels this year, um, that wasn't in there. And then after I had been let go, um, uh, Tommy and the publisher my, and my agent, David black there got together and said, we really need to do something here. So I said, okay. So I just uh, tried to get that together as quickly as I could. So it's a, it's trying to trying to tie the past with the present. Uh, primarily uh, the managerial office, the behind the scenes kind of stuff. And not, not necessarily as a player, because I have no great playing career to speak of. 
So it's been mostly done through player development and scouting and things like that. Sounds like an absolute must read. Uh, so listen, man, thank you. Enjoy summer. Enjoy Hazleton. Uh, we've got Glanville. Uh, he, he's going to get to work on the course layout at the Starkville Golf Club so you can play 18 here someday. Love to. Joe, thank you so much, man. Always Thanks a pleasure to guys. speak with you. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Joe. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Strange but true. Uh, boy, that was an incredible conversation with Joe Madden, but it's time to move on, Doug. No trivia this week. We're giving all of you out there the week off the holiday off from coming up with the questions. And if you're thinking what we really mean here is we're giving ourselves the week off from getting the questions wrong, you might be onto something. Can't confirm or deny that. Um, but we cannot have a Starkville show without the strange but true. And especially because we have such a good one. Um, Doug, uh, first off, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in reincarnation? Uh, yeah, why not? Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's a good gig. Uh, I, I really meant the baseball game version more than the other kind, but either way. Here, here's why I ask. Because uh, we're going to go back to a game in Detroit. This was Guardians against Tigers back on August 17th. Um, 
the Guardians scored six runs in the eighth inning of this game. So what was so strange but true about that, Doug? Uh, well, they had to believe in reincarnation to do it. If, you, if I got you confused now, we're going to clear this up. Let's hear how the eighth inning started for those Guardians. The one-two, swing and a miss, slider in the dirt. Oh, Nilo strikes out to start the eighth inning. Another 3-2 pitch on the way. Swing and a miss. He got him with a fastball up and in. The 2-2 again. Swing and a miss. Pitch in the dirt. Ball got away from Eric Haas. And Luke Maley will reach first. He swung at a slider in the dirt. The ball got away from Haas. Couldn't find it. Didn't matter if he did find it because it went all the way to the backstop. (laughs) Okay, so what did we just hear? Let's recap. The first three batters in that inning struck out. Doug, you've seen a few innings in your day. What usually happens when the first three hitters of an inning strike out? Well, I'd say official rules would say three outs and you change sides and the other yeah. team goes and hits the defense. Yeah. That's it. Right. We'll be back after this word from Kobe uh, <laughs> B. Mason. Commercial break, yes. <laughs> okay, that is not what happened this time. Uh, if you were listening closely there, you noticed the third strikeout of Luke Melly. There was... A little glitch. There was a wild pitch. Luke Maley wound up on first base. That kept the inning alive. At that point, the Guardians apparently thought, what the heck? We're back from the dead. Let's have a little fun. <laughs> so here's what the next seven hitters did. Hang on, Doug. Single. Double. Single. Double. Double. Intentional walk. Single. Uh, so I'm a vacation. I'm in the mountains, and my phone starts blowing up with these all my crazy friends going, you won't believe what just happened. <laughs> There's an inning where the first three hitters struck out, and then that same team scored six runs in that same inning. So they needed to know, that can't possibly have happened, right? So, Doug, have you ever seen anything quite like that before? I mean, no, I, I, no, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to even fathom, like, I mean, getting on base the third out. Yeah, it's possible. I've seen that, but scoring six runs. I mean, yeah, that's, that's bananas. It is. Yeah. The, the Elias Spirits Bureau looked into it. They looked at uh, all, all the way back to the start of the expansion era, 1961. So six decades, this was the first inning where any team scored that many runs after the first three hitters struck out. But now, here's the best part. Um, as we're recording this, since that inning, the Guardians have played over 100 innings. I guess they're like supposedly they would be normal innings compared to that one. So you, you want to guess how many times they've scored six runs or more than six runs in any of their normal innings? I'm, I'm going to guess zero. That's right. <laughs> so, like, their formula for the big inning is first three guys strike out. Now we're going to get rolling. Now we're going to score. All, like, all the regular innings, nah, can't be bothered. <laughs> so, so, why baseball is the best. Don't you agree? Always the best. Always. <laughs> yeah. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you'd like to read the fantastic sports writing that you can find in The Athletic, 
there's a really easy way to do that. Uh, we've got another one of those incredible special offers of ours. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1 a month. $1! Ooh. How about that? Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast because most shows, not this show, we pick a trivia question. And if you're the one who asked that trivia question, you get to stop by this show and prove, once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how would you contact us? Doug, you probably know the answer to this. I'm going to let you give it. Well, I'm all through Twitter here, so you can start with me, at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Right, or you don't have to start with him. You can start with me, mm-hmm. at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T on Twitter. Well, you know, we also have an email address, Starkville at theathletic.com. That's been used from time to time. Mm-hmm. We read that email. So this is how you can find us. But if you tweet at us, just hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joe Madden for joining us. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow it is roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. Almost. Almost. We're getting there. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.